Welcome to Ounce of Prevention, a podcast about current trends in Connecticut law and what they might have to do with you. In each episode, we'll focus on a specific legal issue and how it can impact your everyday life. The goal of the podcast is to educate and inspire our listeners to harness the law to make life just a little bit easier. I'm your host, Tim Herring. I'm an attorney at the firm of Chipman Mizuko Emerson LLC with offices in Danbury and Southbury, Connecticut. Welcome to the Ounce of Prevention Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Herring. This week, my guest is Jennifer Curran, owner of the Johnson Stevens Curran Insurance Agency in Danbury, Connecticut. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Of course. My pleasure. Uh, Jen, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and Johnson Stevens Curran? Sure. Thanks. Johnson Stevens Curran is an independent insurance agency in Danbury. It's family-owned. My father owned the business for, gosh, 40 years probably. I took it over from him about four years ago. Um, but a brief thing on the name, Johnson Stevens Curran, my dad was pretty young when he took it over. So he just tacked his name on to the end of Johnson and Stevens. We don't have any partners. Johnson and Stevens are long since retired, but we just kind of kept the name for longevity and recognition, I guess, over time. And there, that's the name. We are independent, which means that we work with several companies to try to find the best coverages and premiums for our clients. That's the difference of being independent. Um, our website is www.jscurran.com. And then a little bit about me. Um, I'm born and raised in Danbury. Never thought I'd be in the insurance business, but here I am. Um, I actually was an athlete growing up, played a lot of sports through high school and then played basketball in college and spent my first five years out of college as a college basketball assistant, which was so great. But when it was time to get out, my dad said, well, you can come work here until you uh, figure out what you want to do next. And here we are 14 years later. <laughs> so kind of a long intro, but that's a little bit of who we are and how I got here. Excellent. Excellent. You know, I'm sure that you do a lot of business with small business owners, right? Mm-hmm, we do. And as kind of you and I have discussed, small business owners have particular insurance needs. You know, they need to make sure they're protected so they don't have too much exposure in conducting their business. What are some common misconceptions that small business owners have about insurance? Yeah, I think some of the biggest misconceptions are that they're paying all this, you know, quote unquote, all this money for no reason. They're never going to need it. You know, maybe some contract required that they have it, but they don't need it. They don't see what their exposure is or that they're paying all this money and the insurance is just not going to pay when the time comes, you know, that they're kind of out to get them or going to look for every every way they can to get out. And that's just not it's not the case. Insurance policies are contracts and the insurance company settles claims by the words in the contract. They don't they're not looking to wiggle. Right. And insurance companies can actually get in a lot of trouble if they wrongfully deny coverage. So they, Absolutely. They, they tend to stick to the terms of their agreement. I think it's fair to say. They do. And I, and I would say for a lot of people, it's more of a, it's a fear or a, a not knowing. Insurance is, a, is the big, bad, scary thing, right? Whether it's health insurance, business insurance, if you're not in the business or educated on it, it is an intimidating industry. And that's kind of a, a where we serve our purpose as your agent. You know, if you are a small business owner, if you have someone like us to call when you have a question or you're not sure, it's a lot more reassuring than having to call 1-800 and hit eight prompts to get someone to tell you that they're not sure or submit it and we'll, we'll ask. 
we may have yeah. to make that phone call on our end, but at least our clients can call us, talk to the person that they know and try to get some answers or facilitate. You know, it does happen sometimes they don't get a call back from the insurance company as quickly as they'd like. We can certainly try to facilitate communication, particularly in those claim environments. Yeah, I'm glad you, you said that because as I see it, you know, and having dealt with this personally and have had clients, the input of an insurance agent is a big deal because you're right. There's an intermediary between, you know, the insured and the insurance company. And without that, people can feel lost. Yes, they feel very lost. And a lot of times that leads them to just do nothing rather than either put something in place in the first place or it leads to airing. You know, we prefer, I'm in insurance, we err on the side of caution. Um, other people at the fear sometimes of the unknown overrule them and just procrastinate and procrastinate and put it off. I'll do it next month. I'll do it next quarter. I'm not big enough. I'll do it next year. You know, and that, that does tend to be a, a pitfall that we see sometimes happen. Right. Now, one of the areas that you can provide value to your clients is helping determine not only the type of coverage, but the amount of coverage that they need because your, your clients may think, oh, I have, I have coverage for that. But if the coverage is too low, they're still exposed. Correct. So how do you, how do you go about assisting clients with determining the level of coverage that's appropriate? You know, we try really hard to walk them through step-by-step. Step. I mean, some, some coverages are kind of standard, you know, most of your liability policies are going to be a million dollars, right? Most of your Commercial auto policies are going to be a million on the liability side, a million dollars. Your workers' complements are going to be within a three step, probably three limit kind of range. Where we try to focus them then is maybe on the umbrella. What's that? What's that going to drop down? Your liability? What, what do we need to go over? But really, where they get tripped up is the property coverage. You have a business that's got a lot of furniture or inventory, or it's a restaurant and they've got all their food in the refrigerators. So we just try to sit there and say, hey, it's, you know, I'm an insurance, so it's always worst case scenarios. Hi, Mr. So-and-so, if you were to have a fire in here in your space tomorrow, look around real quick for me and tell me how much you would need to replace everything. And they may not be able to give me that number immediately, but that's how we start. That's where the conversation starts and they look around and say, okay, maybe this file cabinet was this, you know, that, oh God, I spent a lot of money over there. Do you have machinery? Do you have equipment? You know, we kind of go through the list on that, but you do have to kind of walk them through a little bit to, to itemize and see what, what do they have. Sure. People don't realize everything that they have because they've built up their business over time. Correct. I would imagine, you know, that the numbers are bigger than, than people might think at first blush. I would think that's the case. They are, they are. And so that's, you know, hopefully we try to contact, we try to have, we try to stay in touch with our clients throughout the year, but even at renewals, if we can, to just try to touch base, try to get the, any changes, um, that we can. But the biggest thing is kind of setting the expectation right from the start when we write the policy so that they know if you have any changes, let us know. You know, whether it's an extreme change in payroll or you're having a phenomenal quarter and your sales go up or you got a huge order and all of a sudden your inventory tripled. I can't know that if you don't tell me. So gotcha. again, it kind of goes to the relationship piece. We're, we're part of your team and you have to just treat us as part of your team and then we can do our part on the team. <laughs> right, um, right. Are there any kind of blind spots that you see that pop up with new clients that come to you where they, there's a, a policy that they should have had, but they didn't, but now yeah. you can set them up with one? 
I do. Yeah, I would say right now, and this this doesn't even go for new businesses or new clients, even even clients we've had, I'd say the biggest blind spot right now is the employment practices liability. You know, so if if you have an issue in your business where where one of your employees sues the company for harassment, wrongful termination, things like that, the blind eye comes from the business owner who says, no, no, my staff, we're like family. That would never happen here. We all get along so well. That would that would never happen here. And unfortunately, all it takes is one person having a bad day. They don't what they say doesn't have to be true, but they can certainly launch a suit. And if you don't have the coverage for that, whether it's bogus or not, you, you want a policy to be able to defend you in that environment. So I would say that's a blind spot. And it's more just a you want to believe in the best in people, and then you get caught in sometimes in a situation where it's just not that's not the case. Right. And even if, you know, as you mentioned, even if the claim is bogus, you know, lacks merit and was really not brought in, in good faith. Correct. It can take it can take a lot of money and attorney's fees to take care of it. Yes. Um, and there, there's always risk in litigation. That's why cases settle. Correct. So, um, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up. How about cyber liability? Because, you know, in the news, it seems like yep. every other day there's a story about a company getting hacked and, you know, their yep. password, their password being stolen. And then there's a ransom request. So talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. So cyber, I would, that's why I didn't mention it as the blind, as as the blind eye type thing. Cause I feel like if you own a business or you wake up and you open your phone in the morning and read the news, like you can't miss that. That's just everywhere. It's ubiquitous at this point. I would say it's a choice that some business owners are making, whether it's financial, they don't have the money for the premium or they think they don't have the money for the premium. Cause it, it may not necessarily be as costly as they think, but there are, So many different types of policies and coverages available for cyber right now. It's probably the most quickly evolving piece of the industry because the hacking is constantly changing. So for the for the contract language and stuff to keep up is it's been interesting to watch. But there are standalone policies for cyber. There are endorsements you can add to a policy that already exists with the liability with varying levels of coverage you know whether it's like you said tim that i got hacked and they stole my my clients lit passwords i'm being held ransom and they want 10 bitcoins they shut me down completely and i have to start all over again and then each state if you do get hacked each state has laws about how now a business has to respond you have to alert all your customers you have to you may have to get a forensic cyber person to come in and check your system find out where the breach was. If you've ever gotten a letter yourself, it says, hey, you've been hacked, but we're going to offer you one year's worth of free credit monitoring so you can keep track of what's happening. That all costs money, aside from the hacking and the Bitcoin and being held for ransom. Just for you to do what what you have to do by the state guidelines costs money. If you have 5,000 records, and you have to alert 5,000 people and offer 5,000 people credit monitoring, that adds up pretty quickly, even if it's 1,000. So those are kind of the things that we talk about with our, with our clients about the cyber. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up, you know, the state obligations because they're onerous, you know, on businesses. And that, that might actually be the primary reason why folks should have cyber. Yeah. Is because if there is a breach to comply with the law, there are a whole slew of things that, that businesses have to do. You got to wonder, you know, statewide, are businesses really complying with their obligations, you know, to, to do right. that because they, they are onerous. 
and the insurance policy, you know, depending on, on how it's, you know, the, the contents can really help with that. Yes. Um, I, I'm not surprised to hear that it's constantly evolving. It's going to have to, Yeah. Um, you know, moving forward. Yeah. And I would say the hard thing with cyber too is you don't know you have a problem until there's a problem on that one. <laughs> you know, like you're finding out after the fact that you've already been hacked. You're never going to get an alert like, hey, someone's, someone's dabbling or someone's thinking about it. Like you, there's no middle ground. Either you're not hacked or you are hacked. And once you are hacked, you have to comply with those. And that's where if you have the coverage, most policies are going to respond and they're going to take on those requirements for you. That's usually right. part of it. They'll send, they'll help you figure out how to send the letter. It, you know, kind of circles back to that whole team thing. I know it sounds kind of hokey, but the agent can be his team and, and the carrier becomes part of your team in that kind of claim. And that's any claim, particularly in the cyber, trying to help you wade through those requirements that most owners don't know. What's, what's the, what do you do? What's the first thing you do? Right. Now, with cyber policies, do the insurance companies have requirements for what safety and firewall requirements need to be in place? They are. They, have, they all have different applications, but I would say a common common threads across the applications they want to know are even before you get to your firewalls and stuff is your hiring practices. You know, do you have an application? Do you run background checks? Will you hire someone who has maybe a questionable history, right? Because maybe that person is going to be somebody who's going to try to access your data. And then it gets into your actual infrastructure. Yeah. Do you, how do you, do you have multi-factor authentication? Do you, do you have a way to shut off? If you let someone go, are you able to immediately shut off their access to everything? You know, whether it's your system, a third party system, are you able to shut them down immediately so that they can't again, be disgruntled and, and, try to hack you there. So that's a lot internal a lot of the time before you even get to the external, the firewalls, your IT company, um, whatever other practices you have in place. You have to kind of start, you got to start at home first and then work your way back backwards. Now, is there any type of coverage for business owners that your agency does not offer or can you do the full suite of insurance products for a small business owner? You know, like workers' comp, for example. Oh yeah, no, we can do all that, and we we generally try to. It's it's usually in the in everyone's, not everyone's best interest, my best interest, but also a lot of a lot of our owners to be able to do everything in one place. So we can do from the the liability to the property to the auto to the comp to the umbrella. We we can do the benefits for them if they have employees and they want to offer health insurance. To the personal home and auto. I mean, we have a lot of clients where we do their business and then they also, we have their home and their auto. It's two different people in my office that are going to handle those two different things, but one phone number, one place to call, one central location for everyone. There's very little that we don't do. I'd say if you get into some really specific doctor's medical malpractice, I haven't, I haven't done that. I think that takes a real specialized knowledge to make sure that you have that done. But the rest of the stuff for the doctors we have, I write several doctor's offices for their business owners policies, the comp, if they own an auto, but there's usually specialists that do the, um, the medical malpractice, you know, which would cover them if they uh, amputate the wrong leg or something. Sure. Uh, just, just for a, a question out of left field, how about Uber drivers? Uber's it's a really good, business. really good topic. Yeah. Uber business has been down a little bit for obvious reasons lately, but if someone wants to make a little extra money and drive an Uber, what should they be thinking about from an insurance standpoint? Yep, that's a really, really good question. So 
there is, I'm going to call it a gap. Uber, Uber Incorporated, whatever their entity is, Uber does provide coverage for their drivers, but it kicks in. And I haven't checked this in a while, but the last time I researched this, and I'm, I think it's still true, is when you have someone in your car, right? You've, you've gone and you've picked someone up and you're, you're, you're driving them from point A to point B. The gray area is, let's say you are driving for Uber, Tim, and you flip on the, you turn your app on that you're available and you're just kind of driving around until you get your assignment or you're on your way to go pick up your person and you get in an accident then. Well, now you're working for Uber, but you don't have someone in your car. So Uber's policy is not in yet. And your personal auto policy is going to say, uh-uh, you were using this for, for business, for livery transportation. That's outside of the scope of personal and auto insurance. We're not going to cover you. So back to the team environment, you want to reach out to your insurance agent, company, whoever you're working with, ask them what, you know, do you provide? Can I buy that? that coverage for that in-between, or I'm an Uber driver, can you help me? And the, the agent or the company is going to say one of two things. Yep, you need a commercial auto policy that covers you for livery, so like you'd be classified the same way as a taxi driver or a limo driver. Or there are some personalized companies that are starting to come out now with endorsements that allow for a little bit of Uber driving. There aren't many in Connecticut. I think maybe less than five, but they're there. I will tell you, most people just do it. They don't tell their insurance companies anything and they cross their fingers and hope for the best. But it is an absolute exposure to them if something happens. Yeah, that, that could be a very rude awakening. In addition to dealing with, you know, yeah. just the nastiness of a car accident, if it yeah. turns out that you're not covered and, right. you know, you're at fault. Um, and every, I mean, pretty much every unendorsed personal auto policy is going to have an exclusion for business use of that vehicle, like real business use. Yeah, it's just another another area where caution, you know, an ounce of prevention, because you right. know, if that driver called their insurance agent, they could have gotten the proper coverage. Correct. And same same goes for your Airbnb type of situations. It's basically the same same type of same discussion. Yeah. So talk about how that I mean, it, it would essentially just be the, the same thing that if I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you rent your home to, you know, out yeah. for Airbnb, there could be a, a coverage problem. Absolutely. But again, there are companies coming out now with an endorsement. I ask a question now when I'm quoting homeowners, you know, is this your primary home? Yes. That used to be good enough. Now it's okay. But do you rent it at all? Like a room, a garage or whatever? Yes or no. And, and some companies, I probably personally in our office, we have maybe three now that are okay with it. We just have to tell them how many nights a year do you think you're going to rent out? You know, if it's 20, 30, no big deal. If it's 350 that's not your primary home <laughs> you know it's that's, that's right, yeah. really you know so it's just kind of getting a sense of you know is it one weekend a month you know you're trying to just make a couple bucks pay half the mortgage whatever just kind of getting a sense of that yeah it's just another blind spot that i think a lot of people probably yeah. have yeah um you know you wonder what percentage of people you know renting their homes vrbo airbnb have really thought about the potential exposure. You know, they rent out their house yeah. and there's a party that gets unruly or maybe someone, you know, has too much alcohol and they get in a car accident. Yeah. Next thing you know, they're a defendant in a, in a serious lawsuit yep. for that. So it's another area where you really need to talk to an agent about that. It is. And I think the biggest thing I think even that I'm hearing us talk about is circling back is ask the questions, talk to your agent, have an agent, 
because there are so many pitfalls. It may be a hassle on the front end getting it done, but you're going to be really glad you've done it right if something does go wrong. Right. And we've been talking small business. I think we're thinking, you know, Main Street, whatever. But you also now with COVID and whatever, you have a lot of people with their side hustles or their home businesses, or maybe they've gotten into some of those, they're making stuff or selling stuff or teaching a couple of classes at home. And again, you want to you wanna get something for that home-based business. Are you taking credit card payments? Are you talking to people on Facebook and getting like, what kind of data do you have? Or do you have inventory or can, are people coming to your home? Just those little types of things. It may not be an issue, but to, to make sure that it's not. Right. It's, it's, it's the unforeseen things that make life difficult. Um, yeah. And again, I, we can't foresee everything, right. But we can try right. to at least run through a list of here's, here's the typical things we see go sideways and, and what may also shut one business down may not affect another. You know, if I'm working with a restaurant or someone who has a lot of personal property and I say, Hey, a fire could shut you down if you can't work here. But I, then you may have your um, a construction business who just has a home office and no, no materials. A fire, God forbid, in their house isn't going to stop them from doing their jobs. Right. You know, right. so it's really just evaluating on a case by case. You, you kind of look around and say, what could, what could end us? Right. And then trying to walk it backwards from there. Right. Now, I'm glad you brought that up. So talk about business interruption coverage for a second. Yeah. I would say that, you know, when you Google or I go to insurance company powwows that's usually when someone has a claim that's the coverage they say kept them in business while they were while they were closed you know a property claim so again i I keep circling back to the fire but that's the easiest one for us to use but if you're a restaurant that has a fire that closes your business for six months that's not really a business that could relocate somewhere else you know tim if your office had a fire and your physical office was going to be under construction for six months you guys could probably be up and running in a different office space to keep you going in the meantime. Right. There would be a cost for that. And the business interruption, if you had extra expense, would cover that. Right. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect you guys. It's going to hit you a little bit differently than maybe a restaurant who can't really just go reopen another office. You know, they kind of have to put in the time and do the work. And it's going to take them the six months or whatever to get going. You still have bills to pay. Right. You need to pay your rent, whatever electric, utilities, insurance payments, like you have money that's still going out with no money coming in. So that business income and the business interruption is going to be really what keeps people afloat when there's no money coming in and money's still going out. Right. I'm guessing your next logical question has to do with COVID on that, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And I I was also just going to say that this is probably an area where people may have misconceptions. Mm-hmm. You know, they they may think, oh, I've got insurance. If there's a fire, I'll be okay. But, you know, without the business interruption insurance, your your place will get fixed. But there isn't going to be money coming in. Correct. Um, so, again, it's it's where you really need the advice of an expert. But, yeah, let's talk about the inter- intersection between business interruption and COVID. Yeah. I think there's a – as you probably have seen, there's a lot of lawsuits flying around on that because of – most, I'm going to speak in generalities because there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. Most business interruption, business income policies or endorsements or whatever, the coverages, the trigger on those has to be a covered physical loss to the property. And in all of, you know, if look around, you know, around here, the businesses that closed down 
in the beginning, right? Maybe restaurants were closed or whatever was closed or business shrunk in half or what have you, but there was no physical loss to the property. We didn't have the fire. A pipe didn't burst. And then there's also some policies have a flat out virus exclusion in them. So that right off the top knocks us out. <laughs> no. Wow. Yeah. And it's, and it's common. Again, that's kind of goes to that beginning part we were talking about. People think the insurance companies are out to get you. They're not. They just, it's already, it's, it's already there. You know, that was already part of the contract. There's a few, I think I read, I want to say maybe it was Wimbledon or one of those really large events had purchased a pandemic policy. I don't even want to know what they paid for it, but they had one and it paid, you know, when they had to shut down or not have their event. I don't know if it was Wimbledon, but there was one, one large event that, that did have a policy in place for it. Somebody had a crystal ball. Somebody had a crystal ball. Yeah. I, I mean, who knows, but the, the risk was probably perceived as so low that that would be triggered. Yeah, exactly. But I'm sure this is going to obviously be on everyone's radar from now on. It is. I think the issue is going to be, you know, it's, it takes a little time for the insurance companies to figure out how do they want to handle this? Are they going to offer a new policy for it? The issue is going to be what's my guess is that it's going to be so costly that you're not most, again, we're talking small business. Most small businesses aren't probably going to spring for it. Right. So we'll see like, yeah, we're going to make this available to you, but it's going to cost, you know, X, Y, Z. We'll see. Again, my crystal ball is a little blurry on this, but my guess is if and when this comes down the pike that it becomes available, I don't know what the adaptation will be on the small business level versus right. rolling the dice and is this really going to happen again? Right. Only time will tell with that. Right. So uh, who knows? I mean, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it becomes a $250 endorsement. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, on, on the legal side, more attention is being paid to adding provisions and contracts that deal with what happens in the event of a pandemic yeah. and the party's obligations because the background law is vague Correct. Um, on, on whether the essential purpose of a contract has been frustrated or whether it's impossible for a party to perform. Mm -hmm. So the, the courts will have to work that out. Well, to kind of finish up, what would your overall advice be to a small business owner? I assume it's going to be call me. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot to discuss, right? Of course. But I think it's, it's call someone, you know, get someone, find someone to work with that you trust that you have a good rapport with, that you wouldn't feel silly calling and asking what you think may be a dumb question, but isn't, you know, you want to have that relationship with someone so that when you do need them, you feel good calling them. I feel like when people have an issue or a question or what should I do, it's a lot different to be able to call someone that you've spoken to, met, maybe whether it's via video or not, versus just 1-800 and getting, you know, kind of rolling the dice as to who you're going to get on the phone. And then maybe you, when you call back, you're not going to get the same person again. You know, that continuity. I just think building that foundation, uh, having the team, and, and that person may change over the years. You know, you may change for rate or fall, have a falling out, whatever, whatever the case may be, but have a person, pick a person, have a person and rely on them and work together with them. Right. And don't treat insurance as an afterthought. It should really Correct. be part of the you know, one of the, the things that business owners think about regularly and yes. not just a, oh, I got to check that box. You know, Correct. it's more complicated than that. And, you know, and that should give them peace of mind. It should. You know, it's, 
Think about when you buy a house, you're not going to buy a house and not buy homeowner's insurance because you don't, you just spent all that money. You don't want the house to burn down in your SOL, right? So your business is kind of the same thing. You're just putting, you're putting your blood, sweat, tears, and cash into this. And you don't want it to all come crashing down around you and not have put those provisions in place. Absolutely. All right, Jen. Well, this has been super informative. I, I'm sure our listeners will agree. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. No, thank and, you. You know, let's let's do this again soon. That was my podcast debut. I appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right. All right. Take care, John. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Ounce of Prevention podcast. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic, please visit our website at www.danburylaw.com or call us directly at 203-744-1929. So you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher. This podcast is not legal advice and is for informational and educational purposes only.